Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you again for this morning. Lord, we thank you that uh, we just can come together and worship you so, so freely and joyfully. And God, it's a blessing. We know we have brothers and sisters in other nations that cannot do that. And, um, and we thank you that we can, at least for the time being. And, and Lord, I pray you'd meet us here this morning. Fill us uh, with your spirit. Give us ears to hear from you. Lord, I pray there would be many different lessons that people come away with here because they've all heard from you and uh, give us ears to hear you through your word and use your spirit and we just ask lord that we would um heed the warning that jude gave the people when they first received this letter how much more um do these truths apply to us today than they even did back then lord we we just look to you redeem our time we pray in jesus name amen we're just gonna start by reading this entire letter here. And before we do that, I just want to give you a few things to think about. For me, you know, um, I just want to let you know what's been going on in my mind, kind of my headspace here, the context of the letter of Jude. Uh, the last couple of weeks, last month, month and a half, I don't know if Greg mentioned this or not, but Greg and I have been a part of a, a group of pastors in the front range that are full-time pastors that have been meeting with um, some of our regional leaders, John Meyer, Pat Sokol. And, and John and Pat have just thought it would be helpful to circle up some full-time pastors and and they call the time calibrate and it's kind of like resetting some of our thinking and some of our expectations about the times that we live in and what it means to be a pastor and what it means to make disciples in this day and age and uh, a couple of the things we've had to do is just different readings. We come together, we pray, we discuss. Um, but one of the first assignments we had to read was, I think it's the second chapter of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a really encouraging read if you want to check it out. Um, it just talks about persecution from uh, early in the first century into the third or fourth centuries there. Uh, that persecution that Christians face on a regular basis as a part of um, the Roman Empire there. And it's it's just real sobering. It's a real perspective changer. Second assignment we had to read was a, a book by uh, Richard Wormbrandt. He's the president of uh, Voice of the Martyrs. And he has spent, I think, 14 plus years uh, in prison because of being a pastor. And I think um, he, he just shared some real sobering thoughts. The, the reading was called uh, Preparing for the Underground Church. And, and he talked about some things, I'll, I'll mention some of his thoughts here later as well, but one of the things he talked about was when the climate is changing towards Christianity, some of the, the things that happen um, when persecution strikes, when it hits, it can happen so fast. He talked about his experience in Romania, that it all happened, the tide turned, slowly it was changing, the climate was changing, but in one day, they sent the police out and they began to arrest, arrest pastors and priests and monks and nuns and everybody, and they gathered them up all on one day. It reminds me of back in, uh, in the book of Acts. Christians had favor in society in Jerusalem and other places, and in one day, when they martyred Stephen, persecution went forth and scattered believers. And you know, we know there's things changing in our climate of our country here. And um, but the thing that's sobering to me is that it could happen in, in one day. All it takes is one one series that one series of commands to go out, and, and things start happening very, very quickly. So that's the context I've been reading the delightful book of Jude in. And so Jude is a, boy, Jude is a, a real black and white prophet sort of 
writer here. And others, you know, I think of Paul that writes eloquently about the subject of grace and the gospel. And, and Jude is, is kind of a, I mean, he really resonates with me. He's kind of black and white and in your face. And, and I, I love that. And my wife doesn't love that about me. She helps bring a balance and tempers my extremes. And there are areas that are actually gray and, you know, but uh, this really resonates with me here. But we're going to read it. Imagine if you would, you know, back in the days when this letter would have first been written and passed on to a gathering back in the first century, they didn't have all the things that we have. We can take the Bible for granted so much. You can get copies of it, a lot of different, you know, 50 different translations, 150 different languages. Many of them are now at our our fingertips. Just push a button, you got it on BibleGateway.com. But but back then, they didn't have the scripture so easily accessible. And and sometimes they would gather together, and and maybe it was a a Sunday, and they were gathering just to have fellowship and encourage their faith, and maybe to break bread and remember the Lord's Supper. But on occasion, those gatherings would be blessed by another letter. Maybe it was from Peter. Peter. Maybe it was one of the epistles from Paul. But imagine the first time a a gathering of brothers and sisters received a letter, this letter, from Jude. You know, many would say that the letter of Jude was the sermon. They read the sermon. Maybe they discussed it. Maybe they went into prayer. But we're going to read a sermon that the Holy Spirit inspired and had uh, authored through Jude here. And we're going to try to take away some things we can apply to our lives today. And one of the things you'll see as, as we read this, and I know Greg talked about this, you know, in hindsight, we were like, well, we should just do two rounds of Jude. You know, we thought about breaking it into two parts. First half, you know, the bad news, and the second half, the, the good news, the solution. And then we kind of arm wrestled on who, um, who should get the bad news. And uh, we decided that was not the way to go. Um, But we just thought, you know, let's read this letter and let God speak to each one of us and we'll share what he puts on our hearts. Might be the exact same things. It might be different. But um, let's just read it. And I'm going to share what God's put on my heart uh, for me and for you. But if you have your handout, let's just read together here. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who've been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men. Who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him. But said, the Lord rebuke you. 
Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have kept the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. So there's your sermon for today. Thanks for coming. Um, No, we're just going to review some of this and just touch uh, on a few things that maybe we can apply to our lives here. But wow, is that not a meaty book of the Bible? It's only 25 verses, but I don't know if there's any other section of Scripture that has so much packed into it as the book of Jude. And so we're just going to try to draw out a couple things here and uh, trust that that's what God has for us this morning. But let's see, I'm clicking, Uh, I'm not sure I'm clicking, here we go. You know, one thing I just want to start and talk about, uh, just an intro to Jude a little bit. I love this first line here, it just says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James. And, you know, some of you might already know this, but Jude was also a half-brother to Jesus. You know, there's different places in Scripture where it talks about one place, Matthew 13, 55. They're talking about, what's this Jesus guy? Where did he get all this wisdom? We know his mom. We know his brothers. And it lists his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, which was another name for Jude. And another place, they said, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers, they're outside. They want to come in and talk to you. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers, those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Um, but Jude was one of Jesus' brothers. There's a section here, if you're reading the one-year Bible, just a, a couple probably days ago, that uh, Jesus' brothers were mocking him. 
They were telling him, hey, if you want to be this big public star, don't be hiding in private here. Get out in public and show people who you are. And they were kind of making fun of him. But Jude and James eventually went on from, from being mockers. And I know, I know James for sure became a martyr for the faith that he had that his brother was the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's who's writing this to us. But I love the heart of Jude here at the beginning. He says, hey, um, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. In a literal, the Greek word there is a bondservant. Jude, Jude could have pulled out his, his pedigree, his resume, and said, it's Jude, half-brother of Jesus. Got something to tell you. But you know, he said, no, this is Jude, the slave of the Lord Jesus and a brother of James. And then he went on to share his heart there. But I just love that humble attitude that he had of a, a bond servant, as someone who was given their freedom and yet willingly chose to, to offer their service back to their master. And that's what Jude had done there. And just, I just love that. It's a great example to us all here. But, you know, the second part of the intro, I'd just like to talk about, um, it says, uh, you know, he says, Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write you. And this, I'm reading the New Living Version. This is the, the NIV we have printed out here. I'm going to look at a couple different versions to draw out some different flavors here. But, um, dear, dear friends, I, I've been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share. But now I find I must write about something else. You know, Jude had on his heart, he wanted to talk about probably the gospel. He wanted to talk about the truths of our salvation and how important that is. And, and yet, it's kind of like uh, that's what he wanted to do. He really wanted to do that. But it seemed like the Holy Spirit called an audible in his heart. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, I could just imagine, I'm going to use John McIntosh as an example here. If you know John at all, John likes to remind people the truths of the gospel. Can I get an Amen. Amen. If you know him, it's true. But it would be like this, that John's going, boy, I really want to tell you about the gospel, but I sense the Holy Spirit has something specific I need to tell you today. I really, really, really want to get to the gospel, but here's what we got to talk about today. And, you know, one of the points I just want to make related to that is you and I, we've got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to adjust our plans, even good plans. I mean, how could it ever be wrong to share the gospel? And yet Jude said, you know, I need to tell you about something else, uh, something else God wants me. And sometimes when we live by principle, we got all these good principles we got to live by. We, we need to make sure that as we follow Jesus, we are living by his teachings, but that we're living by his spirit as well. To, to follow Jesus today, it is to live by his teachings, but it's also to be led by his spirit and we just need to make sure each one of us are, are leaving room for his spirit and yet living in line with his word. And so, um, but then Jude goes on to say, um, you know, here, here's the deal. We've, uh, let's see, the New Living puts it like this. Let's see, let's see if we got the next verse here. Is it? Yeah, so that's, so he says here, um, you can look in, uh, in your handout here, uh, verse 3, and in the second part of there, he says, I, I felt like I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The New Living says to defend the faith, contend for the faith. The Greek has the idea of, of wrestling for the faith, agonizing for the faith. And he says, guys, I want to write you some things here about defending the faith that we have in common. And you know, uh, we're, we're going to talk about, well, what do we need to defend the faith from? Who do we need to defend this faith from? But um, before we get to that, just a side note is on the subject of defending the faith. You know, one says, 
to contend for the faith. The other one says to defend. You know what? In my mind, sometimes it's real easy when it comes to spiritual truth and, and there's something that's right and wrong and it's black and white. I love to just jump in and go, here's the truth. And, you know, give someone a, a very Christ-like Bible chop, chop, you know, karate chop for Jesus with the Bible. And, um, you know, in some ways this, you get a sense it's very urgent what he's talking about. Yet at the same time, we have to realize that... Um, we need to contend for the faith without being contentious. And we need to defend the truths of the faith without being offensive in how we go about it. And, um, you know, the Apostle Paul told this to, to Timothy at one point. He said, um, in the same context of the same thing he was dealing with, but he said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach, be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Where's the karate chop in there, man? I don't know. But um, we, and then he goes on to say, he says, um, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. But just as we, we look at some of these truths here and people and characteristics to watch out for, if you encounter some of them, it's so, so easy to argue for Jesus and to contend for Jesus. And, and many times as we're just trying to testify about the truths of the gospel, we can lose our testimony in, in the process. And watch out for that. I know I can fall into that trap naturally. And you and I have got to watch for that, even on very, very, very serious spiritual truths, you know. And so, um, but anyways, as we go here, you know, he says, uh, defend the faith, you know. Uh, this was just like a... I just sound the alarm, red alert. Uh, I think if you played chess before, this would have been Jude saying, on guard, you're about to lose your most important piece here. Um, but, but then what, uh, you know, then he goes on to describe some, uh, you know, this verse four, you know, I know Greg talked about this last week, but it says there's certain men who have secretly slipped in among you. You know, just a couple things to watch for here. Um, can't imagine the first time they read this letter. Could you imagine if there's someone like who Jude was talking about sitting in the congregation that day? Oh, that would put the fear of God in you, wouldn't it? Um, but there probably were. And I hope, I hope that that is not the case of this group of people today, that there's people who would be like this. And here, there were 20 centuries ago, how, how much more this this far after all of this played out, you know, and we just have to watch out. But we're going to look at these men and characteristics, traits that they had. And it's easy to say, ah, don't be like them. Let's go find out who they are. Let's point them out. Let's, um, but at the same time, we have to make sure we're really careful that we don't have these same traits and characteristics in our own life. I, I counted there's anywhere from 17 to 22 distinct characteristics that Jude says to watch out for. We're only going to cover 21 of them here this morning, but uh, no. But the point is, you know, in some cases, maybe some of these people had some of these traits more than others. Um, some of them might have had them all, but, and there's, it seems like there's different groupings. Jude lists them out in different groupings. We're just going to look through some of these groupings, and then we're going to look at what he says to do. Defend the faith from these type of people, and then he kind of tells us how to do it how he suggests we should do that. So that's what we're going to look at here. But we're just going to fly through some of these passages to look at who we should watch out for. And the first one is, you know, I think uh, Greg mentioned this. I'm going to steal the word that he used. But we need to watch out for, I think he called them gospel twisters. 
Is that what he said? Gospel twisters? We've got to watch out for godless gospel twisters. You know, this says some godless men have slipped under here. And it says one of the characteristics is they take the grace of God, God's undeserved forgiveness and, and mercy in light of our sin. And, and they take that grace and they say, and by the way, this is kind of like your permission slip to sin in any way you want to because it's all paid for. And it leads to some very dangerous places. It leads to immorality. It leads to even, you know, eventually if you start getting light on sin, oh, sin's not that big of a deal. We've got a free pass. Well, you start wondering, well, why do I even need a Savior? And, well, you know, is Jesus really even the Savior at all? Is he really God in the flesh? And did he really die for my sins? And, and you start going, and it says they go on to just deny Jesus altogether. And we have to watch out for godless gospel twisters there. And and I'm not going to hit on that much because uh, I know Greg probably covered that. Um, But we're going to look at some other facets here. You know, he goes on to give three different... um, We'll get to these defiant dreams. He gives three different types of ungodly people and examples to watch out for. You know, he talks about the Israelites. They, They were supposed to go into the promised land. They did not obey. They did not believe. And it says they were destroyed because of that. None of those people who did not obey did not get to go into the promised land, but Caleb and, and Joshua. And um, another example he gives of angels were given these certain boundaries to stay within, and they went out of their boundaries. And there was consequences was then they were now bound forever. And it talks about that. They also talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and sexual sin there. You know, and I just think about the boundaries that God has given us and his design for sexual morality, for how to... Uh, use the sexual parts God gave us in a way that is right. Morality, sexual morality is, there's sexual parts and there's a right way, a a rightness and a wrongness. And all sorts of people want to define what's right and what's wrong, but we know that God is the one who created us and God is the one who should define what is right and what is wrong. And they were outside of his boundaries for that. And, you know, they served as an example who was destroyed. And, and we've got to watch out. But then he leads into this next group of people. And I call them defiant dreamers. And let's see, that's like in verse 8 here. It talks about these dreamers pollute. In the same way, referring to Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, slander celestial beings. And I just kind of called the whole category defiant dreamers. Dreamers has two, two ideas that it carries with it. One is that these people were appealing to the authority of their dreams. Uh, the, New Living Test, uh, the New Living Translation puts it like this. In the same way these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But they're dreamers. It's like, I had this dream. I had this revelation. And, you know, instead of, when it comes to defending the faith, there's a twisting of the gospel truths. But another thing people try to do is add to them. They're like, yeah, the Bible, I love the Bible. It's great. But I had this vision. And it was so real. And let me tell it to you. And it introduces new ideas, new doctrines. And these dreamers will will try to say, hey, I, I claim authority because of my dream, because of my experience. And that is going on right now all around us. And people write books about it. And people start cults because they go, oh, yeah, I got the Bible. That's great. But, but I've got this vision. And, and they're going to come across as dreamers. And uh, another way is that they could be so disconnected from reality, they would be considered dreamers. They're just out of it. And often cult leaders would be that way as well. And so we've got to watch out for these defiant dreamers. And then you know, uh, just talks about how they defy authority and they speak against things. You get a sense here, what he's saying is they're so bold and outspoken that they would speak against, you know, uh, 
angels or even the devil himself. And Jude says, hey, by the way, when the devil was kind of duking it out with the archangel Michael, um, Michael didn't even say anything slanderous against the devil. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. And I was very encouraged by the idea that when the devil's doing battle here, he's fighting against not just God, he's fighting against God's angels. And that's where the battle is occurring. And God sits even higher above the angels that he's created. And that's an encouraging thought to think about. But anyways, watch out for defiant dreamers. Um, we'll scoot on here to the next one we have. Is you know, There's just a section here that has six snapshots. I, I'd say to watch out for here. We'll just fly through them. This is verses um, 12, 13 on your handout here. But he talks about blemishes at your love feast. Now, hopefully you guys catch the idea of love feast. What is a love feast? You know, this next weekend, the firehouse is having a Memorial Day love feast, right? And Brad will be leading that there. But a love feast, they're talking about, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about it. It seems a little strange if you ask me. But they're talking about when they came together to break bread, to uh, remember the Lord's Supper. And, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about how sometimes when they did that, they'd come together to remember the Lord's Supper. And some of them would be getting drunk. Some of them would be eating like gluttons. And some others would not have any food at all. And they're all together in the same place. And that's just selfish. And he talks about that scenario there. Watch out for blemishes at this place where you're supposed to be expressing love. Uh, watch out for selfish shepherds is, is a phrase I'd use on those who just feed only themselves. It talks about rainless clouds. They look like they should have this rain and they never actually rain. And uh, fruitless trees, uh, foaming waves, wandering stars. There's just snapshots of watch out for things like this and, and these um, people who are in your midst and people who are coming. And so um, then he goes on to talk about another category of, of people. And he quotes from uh, Enoch here. Let's see, we call this next group is, uh, I call them fault-finding flatterers. That's a tongue twister. Say that five times fast. Fault-finding flatterers. Can you do that? Can you say that five times fast? I joke, we do that with my kids a lot. You say that five times, that's right. That, 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 that. Yeah, that's good. All right. That's a joke. Try it home sometime. But um, he quotes from Enoch here. You know, one just side note here is that some people are like, well, who's this guy he quoted from? You know, some would know that in some of the apocryphal writings that were not included in the Bible, there's writings from Enoch. And, you know, I would just say to that, uh, there, there's a couple different thoughts on that one. And some would say, when Jude wrote this, those writings were not, uh, were not out or not present at his time, and so he wouldn't have been pulling from those. Others would say, well, you know, even if there were some writings there that Jude included this saying in there, um, it doesn't mean that the rest of that book was true or inspired, but it, it could mean that what, what was quoted here was something that is true. And many times when there are other sources quoted, it's only as an example to validate something that's already in the Bible. Think of the Apostle Paul when speaking in Athens, talked to, he quoted pagan poets. But the poets had something that overlapped with something that God said was true in the Bible. And it's not like then every writing of those poets became inspired. Some people would go to that extreme, but that's not the case. Same is true when talking about Moses here. There's uh, apparently quoting from another apocryphal writing related to Moses there, but again, if there's something that's true there, it doesn't mean the rest of it is true. You can take something out of it that would overlap with truth that's already in the Bible. Just a saying to think about here, I love when Jude is writing, he says, uh, you know, I want to write to you about things you already know. I want to remind you of some things. One Bible commentator put it like this, when, when engaging with 
people who are false teaching and stuff like that. He said, um, you know, he said, if, it, if it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. The idea behind that is, if the writers of the New Testament didn't include it in things that they were recording about the life uh, of Jesus and, and the, the ramifications of following Jesus, if they didn't include it there, well, you know, God probably didn't want you to know that. And, and if he had, he probably would have included it there. But sometimes people come up with, uh, oh, you know, there's all this stuff, great stuff, but they, they, they missed this other revelation. They missed this other thing. And, and they introduced new doctrines, new writings, new books, new fads. We live in a pop culture that's all about what's new. And I just would warn you guys, there's a danger in finding something new. If you don't find it in the scriptures, if it wasn't recorded 20 centuries ago and it's new today, watch out. Beware. If it's new, it might not be true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. It should be, have been in the scripture now for centuries. So something to think about there. But uh, he goes on to say about these men. He says, um, these men, this grouping uh, has to do with grumblers and fault finders. And they follow their own evil desires. And they boast about themselves. And they flatter others for their own advantage. But, um, you know, the idea here, these fault finding flatterers is uh, they... They would, you know, I think when you defend the faith, there's you defend from twisting the faith, defend from adding things to the faith, like the dreamers. But with fault finders here, you have to defend those who are leaders and teachers in your faith, because they would go and they would grumble and they'd start some grumbling um, things about leaders in churches that actually teach the Bible, that are, are Bible believing and, and carry out the the character required for pastors. And some would start pointing fingers and go, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And then they would work to flatter you and make puff you up in, in your knowledge or something and to gain influence over and to steal disciples from people. And we've got to watch out. You know, even the Antichrist himself in Daniel is described as one who, who would flatter for his own advantage. And you've got to watch out for people who would get you pointing fingers at others and try to puff you up and try to lead you astray. And that, that is happening right now. That happens all the time. I remember a situation I was a part of up in uh, church when we were part of the campus ministry up there. But there were some people that just would want to pull others aside. And they say, you know, you know what, your pastor? And they would talk about John Meyer. Or they'd talk about and just list things like this, this, and that. And then they just would try to divide. And there was a group that did this and and it caused great great division and, and great slander and um they they were doing exactly this and we have to watch out for that i think of an example from from the scriptures here that really speaks to this it's an old testament example jude even uh, touches on it here but it's about korah's rebellion numbers chapter 16 the, um, i'll just read first three verses here about korah it talks about korah and his sons and, and some others but he says um Korah became insolent and rose up against Moses. And with, with them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. And they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? And it went on to play out there. But Korah was just saying, hey, Moses and Aaron, you guys have put yourself in charge here. You're bossing people around, whatever. But, but we're all holy. We all got the spirits. Uh, why are you setting yourselves apart? And you know what Moses and Aaron did? You know, they, they fell on their faces because they knew they, they didn't put themselves in that. God called them to that role. God gave them their authority to, to lead and shepherd his people. And they were rebelling against 
people God had put in place. And then, you know, push came to shove. And finally, God said, let's get Korah and all of them out here. And, and he ended up having them, it said, just swallowed alive in the ground because of their rebellion against God-given leadership. And I think uh, they, they were promoting others and how good others were. And they were finding fault and grumbling about Moses and Aaron. And in the process, they were trying to gain influence and and they were destroyed. And we've got to watch out. There are going to be people like that who would come and whisper in your ears, finding faults in someone else, in your, in your pastors or leaders in, in the church. And beware of them. Watch out for them because their judgment has been determined already. And so we just have to watch out for them. The last part here we're going to look at is this last section here, 17 uh, through 19. It just says, Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said, in, they said to you, this is, and he's quoting from Peter here, Second Peter, but he just says, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts. The NAS says, are worldly minded. King James says, sensual, and do not have the spirit. So there's going to be these sensual, spiritless selfish scoffers they're going to show up as well and and we've got to watch out for them in some ways this verse would apply more to us living in this generation than it even did back then because we're 20 centuries closer to the last days than they were and we've got to watch out you know one of the things um, that actually encourages me about this when he talks about scoffers who follow their own selfish desires you know, I think it would be one thing if there were scoffers. And you know, they're scoffing in the context of, of Second Peter about the Lord's return. They're like, yeah, is he really coming back? He's, he's not come back now. Why is he going to come back? You know, that's a bunch of baloney. And they start mocking believers who are expectantly waiting for the Lord's return. But one of the things that kind of resonates with me is that two, two things that are, are, are grouped together here are scoffing and people who are living selfishly, uh, sinfully, Without the Spirit, sensually. Sensually just means living by their senses. If, if it feels good here on earth, then, then obviously God gave me my senses. I should just do it. Uh, but that's lacking the Spirit and self-control of the Holy Spirit. But, but when someone's scoffing, and a lot of times if you see their life and you go, okay, they're living in sexual sin, or they're being really selfish, or they're doing all these other things... I go, yeah, that makes sense. They're going to mock this faith. They're going to mock how I'm supposed to live because... They're, they're on the other side of the spectrum. They've they got a very different eternity going to play out here. And now, if it was someone who was very righteous and someone who was very spirit-filled and they're saying, boy, you're off your rocker, that would not be as encouraging. But we're going to get mocked and scoffed by those who would make fun of the way we live in following Christ. And um, again, in the context there, they scoff a lot about the second coming. And, and I wonder if, as followers of Christ on mission, if we should not be introducing that concept in more places where it would get scoffed. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't prefer mocking. And yet, if I'm carrying out my mission, that should be a part of it. That we say, like Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And, and we have to be getting the, the good news out before then. And so anyways, watch out for sensual scoffers here. Now, that's... that's kind of who we're looking to defend the faith from. He gives us a couple action steps here we're just going to touch on lightly. To wrap up, um, let's see the next slide here. I don't know if my clicker's working. There we go. So, you know, he, he kind of talks about several facets that are really our part of this. And we'll keep looking at your handout here. I'm not sure if that's clicking. Um, 
So, you know, he divides, he gives us a couple of action steps here. Now, I've quoted uh, from the NAS on this. You know, they're, they're all kind of the same action steps. Sometimes they're phrased a little bit differently. The, the New American Standard kind of gives it the idea. It says, um, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But kind of gives the idea, hey, you guys, keep yourselves in the love of God. And here's how you do it. You do it by building yourselves up in your faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by waiting, uh, anticipating the Lord's return here. There's kind of like three action steps. And just to, to touch on, on each one of these, um, you know, the idea of keep yourself in the love of God, it's kind of, uh, I, I think of the, you know, in a nutshell, it would be like keep yourself in close fellowship with the Lord. Walk closely with the Lord. Uh, it's kind of like, Think of sun shining on you when, when you're outside and you just want to soak up the sun. And, and yet when things get in between you and the sun, they, they can cloud your experience there. They can uh, eclipse the heat and the warmth that you should be experiencing from the sun. And, and we have to, in our spiritual lives, we have to remove things that would cloud our relationship with God. We have to remove sin or idols or fear or whatever it is that would get in between us and God. Sometimes, you know, I think about uh, the sun shining on whether it's earth or the moon and the experience when someone's on the other side of the planet or the moon is a very different experience than when it's in the sun, right? The backside of the moon, if you've ever been there, um, I haven't. Uh, I've heard some music about it, but, um, uh, you know, on the backside of the moon, it, it's colder and uh, it's darker. And in order for even though the sun never stops shining, God's love for you never stops. But sometimes we're turned away from it and we have to turn back into it. And that's really uh, the essence of repentance is, is turning away from our sin and turning back to God who's loved us the whole time. And sometimes we need to do that for the first time. And that's, that's how you become a Christian, really. And, and you turn to the love that God showed us in his son, Jesus Christ. But we have to keep in his love. And then some practical ways to do that, he says... Uh, Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. You know, just two thoughts on, on building yourself up in your most holy faith. One is, um, you know, if we're going to be building ourselves up in our faith, if we're going to be identifying and, and guarding against these apostates and these false teachers, we've got we've to know what to look for. We've got to know what is true and, and therefore what is not true. And I think Jeremy hit on it just when he was sharing a thought in worship there. We, we've got to be men and women who are building up our faith through reading and obeying the scriptures ourselves, You know, sometimes we live in a world where you can get people's thoughts on, uh, you know, you can get podcasts, you can get the radio, you can get all sorts of people who are probably personally walking with the Lord can spoon feed us. And it's a great thing unless it prevents you from maturing and reading the Bible yourself, listening and obeying on your own. Build yourselves up. In your most holy faith. And we need to make sure nobody, you know, as a church, we want to be a catalyst for people to grow in their faith. But, um, but no one can make another person grow in their relationship with the Lord. You've got to have personal ownership of that. And then another thing, uh, so we build ourselves up reading and obeying the scriptures. Another thing we need to do, I think, to build ourselves, our, our faith up is to um, really to eliminate, to deal with doubts. Cultivate doubts out of our life, out of our relationship. You know, just a, a quote on, um, on this from uh, Richard Wormbrand in his writing about preparing for the underground church. He has some really, really strong words to say about what happens to believers when they're imprisoned and they have doubts. He says this, To every one of us, doubts come... 
But do not allow doubt about essential doctrines of the Bible, such as the existence of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the existence of eternal life, to make a nest in your mind. Don't allow these doubts to make a nest. They might fly by. Someone's compared doubts like birds. They might fly by, but don't let them make a nest in your head, you know, in your hair. Um, But he goes on to say, every theological or philosophical doubt makes you a potential traitor. You can allow doubts while you have a nice study and you prepare sermons and you eat well or you write a book. Well, then you can allow yourself all kinds of daring ideas and doubts. But when you are tortured, these doubts are changed into treason because you have to decide to live or die for this faith. You know, we live in a world, men and women, that just says, it kind of um, caters to doubts. I've heard preachers, good preachers, Popular preachers say things like, you know, you got doubts. We all have our doubts. And it's kind of like, it's, you know, keep your doubts with you. They're kind of like a teddy bear or something like that. But, you know, I don't, I don't get that in scriptures. And, and I, I heed this warning that if you just coddle your doubts, they're going to come back to bite you. And, you know, it's kind of like anything else in life. If you've got, if you're an accountant and something's not adding up, you, you kind of find a solution. You fix it. If you're working with your finances and it's not balancing you just kind of leave it like that? We just coexist like that? No, because you get a lot of fees or whatever. You, you engage with it. If you're a programmer and you're working on a program and it do, a program does not run, you find a solution. In mathematics, if there's something you can't solve, you find a solution. When it comes to our doubts, doubts are out there. I understand that. But now is the time to find solutions to our doubts. And I just want to let you know, as pastors, we would love to come alongside anyone who's wrestling with the existence of God or the resurrection of Jesus or whatever it might be. We'd love to help you find solutions to that because there's going to be a day when when push comes to shove, you're going to have to decide, well, I kind of don't even really know if I believe that. And you'll find yourself in a very different camp than the rest of those who are, are going to experience persecution for their faith and and we want to help you overcome that and um so we'd love to chat with you on that but that's a part of having a strong foundation of your faith here and then uh it talks about praying the holy spirit you know just a quick thought on this um you know there's i think sometimes we pray but he could have just said hey don't forget to pray and then moves on to and wait wait for the lord's return and, and but he says pray in the holy spirit and I, I think we just want to catch that there's something different. Sometimes prayer can just be, um, it can be driven by our own thoughts, our own needs, our own feelings, our own whims, our own desires. And we just call that prayer. Prayer is talking with God. I'm just telling him all I want and telling him about my day. And, you know, and that's fine. And I get that. But somewhere along the way, prayer has to be something that requires effort and energy that we couldn't do on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's help to guide our prayers, to uh, inspire them, to give us the faith that we need. And if you find that your prayer is just this running monologue of complaints about, you know, traffic on I-25 or whatever it is, um, if we're going to grow in our faith and prepare for what we need to, we've got to be men and women who are praying in the Spirit, having our prayers directed by God's Spirit and God's Word and uh, It takes effort and energy. A lot of these men they talk about were spiritless. They they didn't do things like pray or read the word for themselves because it it takes a a spiritual energy that 
that you don't get except by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to just continue to grow in prayer here. I know us talking to John Mack. If you want to pray on Sunday mornings, there's a group praying at 9 o'clock right here that you can join in in praying. I was uh, listening to another teaching, uh, another church that would have similar vision and values in us as us. And, and they really take some people during the message. And they say, you want to learn how to pray? Join us during the message. And we're going to pray for an hour. And, and I was like, well, that'd be a big deal. I, I don't know if we're ready for that or not. Prayer is kind of like you got to exercise sometimes. And I'm, I'm blessed in our pastors meet. We, before we meet, we pray together for anywhere from a half hour to an hour. And Greg and I, when we meet weekly, we walk around the neighborhoods and we pray together. And when we get done, it's just like, that was good. You know, it's kind of like exercise. Going into it, you're like, oh, what am I doing? And when you're done, you go, that's not too bad, you know. Um, but we need to be praying in the spirit here. And um, and the last one, you know, talking about just waiting anxiously for the Lord. You know, we, we've got to be waiting. Are you waiting? Are you anticipating? You know, this is the one place you can be anxious as a Christian. And it's not in a sinful way. It's in a, you're anticipating the Lord's return. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for the Lord's return? And if you're not ready, you're probably going to be anxious in a wrong sort of way. You're not going to be anticipating it. You're like, oh, no, he's coming. No, don't come. I'm enjoying the sensual things of this life. I don't want to go yet. But uh, we need to be waiting, and, and we need to be ready. And I just want to ask you here this morning as we wrap things up, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Um, and if you're not, you can get ready. It's, you know, there's a way you can know for sure you're going to have eternal life. If the, if the Lord was to come today to rapture the church, to take all true believers with Him, how sure are you that you would go, that you'd be a part of that? And if you're not sure, if you don't know that you would be, I encourage you to find out how. You know, the scriptures would tell us, the Apostle John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You can be ready. If you don't have a confident hope in heaven, you know, you're probably not going to carry out the mission that we've been given here. And we need to have a confident hope of heaven. And you can. And as pastors, again, we'd love to help you. Feel free to pull one of us aside and so that you can know for sure. On the back of your handout, there's just some things you can read through on how to maybe turn to the love of God for the first time, to receive Christ into your life. And, and if you have received him into your life, you need to do a check and make sure he's on the throne of your life, that he's directing your life, because you'll get a very different result if he's in your life, but you've still got the lead. It's called a carnal Christian. We're going to watch out for that. But I'm going to go ahead and, and pray. We're going to wrap things up there. I, I know the, the rest of the book here there's still so many things that you could do a series on just the last two verses of the book of Jude here but we're going to go ahead and pray and call it a day well Lord Jesus we do just uh, thank you for bringing us together here this morning Lord I thank you for your word to us that um, that you have some things for us to be watching for you have some things that you said are really going to happen And you've told us about them so that we won't be caught by surprise. We won't be discouraged when they do. Lord, I pray that you'd help us be men and women who are staying in the love of God. Who are staying in close fellowship with you. Help us to be building up our faith. Lord, that we'd be studying and obeying your word. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to to pray in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we need your help. I pray you'd inspire us to pray. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be waiting, anticipating your return. Help us to be ready. And if we are ready, Lord, help us to be getting others ready. It is the mission you've given us, getting them ready with the good news about about your return and about life together with you forever.
and about full life now. And, and Lord, we just, we just ask that as a church, we would be um, carrying out this mission. We would be snatching people from the flames. We would be compassionate to those who are just wondering. Yet, Lord, we'd be uh, helping people even mixed with fear of those who don't necessarily even want to get out of sin. But we ask you for all this, Lord. We, we thank you that you're discipling us and you're discipling, uh, you're leading this church. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.